The Old Testament, Joshua, the 23rd chapter, is as relevant as the breath that you're breathing right now. There is always a reflection of what's happening uh, in any culture. There is, I promise you, a reflection somewhere in the Bible. As a result of that, when you look at culture today, and, and it appears in, in the American culture, um, and uh, it appears in the American culture that there is, if you've noticed it, maybe uh, there seems to be a rebellion. Uh, anybody notice that? Just seemingly rebellion. Now, the act of rebellion, okay, I just choose to rebel. But there appears to be a rebellious spirit, a rebellious spirit. Now, I understand rebellion against, um, okay, rebellion against authority. Um, the way that I was raised a few years ago, I, I was not allowed, no matter how much I may want to, and no matter how much I might think it in my mind, it never passed these lips that I wanted to rebel against my parents. But you knew better. And, and why did I know better, you know? It's because that was an absolute no-no. You didn't do it, and if you did, you were called right then and right there. Didn't make any difference where you were. So you got, you got training in a way that parents raised their children. So I just didn't, didn't rebel. Did I want to? Absolutely. Did I think I had the right? You better believe it. But you just knew you don't do that. Today in culture, uh, it's nothing for children to disrespect parents, to rebel, to be in disagreement and not walk in unity in the culture in, in which we live. And the reason is, the minute that you get away from biblical training, and the, reason, and the minute you get away from the biblical guideline, you start reaping a harvest when you do not do that, that is not a favorable harvest. So how is it that you can see, for example, in television and, and people, uh, people destroying property or stealing and the prisons are full and uh, it doesn't matter, it's those who might live in the ghetto and it's those that are white collar people, it's those that, you know, uh, that cheat on their taxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The respect for a godly heritage and the power of integrity. So what you see there is, is a breakdown of the family, uh, and what you see there is a breakdown of the influence of the church. Uh, we, we know, as I've stated before, the church is, get this now, the only influence, not the IRS, not the U.S. government, the only influence for good, positive, moral behavior, the only institution is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. If, if the church wanes, no pun intended, if the church is not vibrant, if the church is not strong, if the church does not preach the truth, 
if the church doesn't stand up for you know a, a proper guideline as it relates to scripture if the pulpit just becomes a therapy session uh, if the church just becomes a social gathering that does not in fact challenge people to do better just move the little needle a little bit then we lose our ability to have an impact now in in our text tonight remember the basics and that's that's what the message is about is about joshua joshua was one of the 13 spies who went in to spy out the land of uh, promise y'all with me now how many spies were there 12 not 13 y'all pay attention now one of the 12 spies who goes in and he, of course, comes out, and his buddy that went with him, that agreed with him, his name was what? Caleb. His name was Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we believe that we can conquer the promised land. Now, here was the deal. The deal was that land is yours, but you're going to have to take it, all right? I promised it, but you're going to have to go clean it out. And you're going to have to take it. He declared they could drive out the giants. And he declared he believed that they could destroy any barrier that was there because he believed that Jehovah God, if God promised it, God would assist them in being able to accomplish what they needed to do. So he believed that. 45 years lapsed and Moses died. All right? 45 years lapsed. We believe we can. 45 years lapsed. Joseph died. Joshua becomes the leader. 25 years after that, Joshua is 110 years old, and he is dying. And his message to all the people that Moses led, that Joshua led, all their families, all their influence, he's saying, remember what the basics are. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, in First and Second Timothy. He said, hey, Timothy, stir up the gift that's within you that your family members, your mom, your grandmother, that they knew about, they testified about. Be sure you don't lose touch with that gift. Don't lose that gift. And he gave them that instruction. That's what Joshua is endeavoring to do at this, endeavoring to do at this time, is remember who you are, remember the legacy, remember what God has done, and remember what God will do if you remember, you remember to the basics, to stand on the Word of God. I, I think about in my own history, and history is always relevant of all-night prayer meetings. I mean, some of you say, well, I wasn't raised in church, but there were all-night prayer meetings. I, I can tell you that there weren't just fasts that took place at the beginning of every year. There was a fast that would be called just on a dime. I just feel like we need, and they fasted. There, there, were, there were times that uh, in the culture that I was raised in that you had revival. Revival meant that you invited somebody in as an evangelist, and buddy, he, he would preach to you and say, get right with God, get straightened out, and and let's get closer to God. And those kinds of things happen over and over and over and over today or in the culture back then. Were those things important then? Yes, and they are still important today. If we remember, okay, what does it take 
to enjoy an absolute move of God. He says, the core fundamental truths of the Word of God. So here you go. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. Now, Joshua 23, 3, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between Jordan and the great sea in the west. And he notes, God has been faithful to the words that were spoken by Moses. This is what he says. Your ancestors, you were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh's bondage. He said they were protected for 40 years without conflict. No other land came out and said, boy, they're out and getting manna from heaven. And no other nation came against them. And God actually protected them. Joshua 1, 3 through 5. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the uh, great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, did you hear that? Yes, sir. I heard that. What does he do? He crosses the Jordan out of the desert, crosses the Jordan at flood stage. God said, that's my promise to you. They conquered Jericho. The walls of Jericho, huge. They conquered Ai, another community that they were supposed to conquer. They defeated the giants of Canaan, and they came as strongly as you could imagine in the move of God going before them. They were blessed with material possessions, unbelievable material possessions. Caleb received his promise of the land of Hebron, and God held the sun still one time so they could win a battle. They received their undivided land allotments. All the tribes did and they won their military battles. I mean, no question about it. The whole world knew what it meant and held them in high esteem and feared them. And Joshua had been a successful leader, and he wanted them to remember, listen, God has been faithful to you. Here's what he says. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. He did it because of you. So God... In my past, you have been faithful. In my present, you are faithful. Lord, in my family, my, my uh, family members who raised me in church, or maybe that's not the case for you, but someone in your life had influence. God, I, I remember that. I remember that I have a godly heritage. Victory Church now exists coming up in uh, March next month. 28 years ago it started. It has had a rich, rich heritage. But we must not, our culture, our church families, we must not let greed, we must not let self-centeredness or apathy or pride rob us of remembering what God has done. How many of you by raised hand are grateful for what God has done? May I see your hand? What he has done. But you know what? You cannot live on what God has done. 
It can serve as a memorial. It can serve as a memory. It can excite you by saying, I know he did it once, and I know he can do it again and again and again. We honor God. How do we remember his faithfulness? It's simple to us. We honor God by reading his word. It's important to get into the Word on a daily basis. We, we honor God by praying and praising Him. That is, we talk to Him, not just now lay me down to sleep. We worship Him in the Lord's house, and we witness of His grace and mercy, and we are not afraid to declare, God, you have been faithful. So Joshua says, I bring to your remembrance all these things. Jesus said, there's something I want you to remember. Every time you take communion, you remember what happened of how I hung on the cross and went to the tomb and came forward. You remember that. May we never, never, never forget that we did not make it where we are at today in our spiritual life without someone else before us sacrificing, believing, and praying, and standing true to the core values of what they believed in Jesus Christ. We didn't just happen in. You say, well, my family's not saved. Somebody knew you, my friend, that loved you enough to pray you in to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody prayed, save unlost people. Somebody planted a seed to that regard. And then Joshua says, I want you to watch where you walk. Watch where you walk. Joshua 23, 6 and 7, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you who worship false gods. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. And therein is the call of the church to remain strong in our cardinal beliefs of the core values of the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That no man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died and went to the grave, hung on the cross, sacrificed, came out of the grave, and now has ascended to the right hand of the Heavenly Father to be there until He calls us home. Somebody say amen. We believe in the Holy Spirit, which is the triune part of God, who in fact moors us, woos us, comforts us. We believe in God the Father, who is the great Jehovah, the one who created heaven and earth, and nothing was created without him being involved in that creation. We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, that it was not an accident, not a scientific method, but in fact he was born of a virgin birth. We believe he lived a sinless life. We believe that he paid for our sins. And we believe that he's going to one day say, all my children are going to come home and there will be the rapture of the church, which could happen right here and right now. And there is nothing that will stop that. And those of us who are in live remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We believe in the tribulation period that it will take place. We believe in the millennial reign. And then we believe in the total time where we will live forever worshiping and praying. Almighty God. That's the power. That's what we believe. 
we believe this book is the Word of God that cannot be challenged correctly and will stand through the eons of time and is the breath of a living God that has fire and life. And this Word, my friend, will redeem you from your sin. It is the way, the truth, and the life according that which is written here. Y'all working with me, right? I mean from index to concordance. This book is real. I'm sorry I got lost there on a little tangent. You forgive me. Now listen. The culture very subtly has a death sentence for the church. The culture. You heard me speak the other day that the enemy cannot get at Jesus. He tried, and it did not work. So if he cannot get at Jesus, and Jesus said, Peter, he'd love to get you, but I've got you in the palm of my hand. What does the enemy do? He attacks his kids. You want to get daddy mad at you, take attack his kids. You want to get mom upset at you, attack, attack the kids. And if you really want to have a war, you let you get a kid that grandma loves. And that's where the attack is. I found out the enemy will never come at you like a freight train. You'll come one inch, one thought, one minute, one deed at a time. When I see what happens on television, here's what moves my heart. It's this. Somewhere along the line in our culture from the time of the Azusa Street Revival, which challenged churches not to be normal, which challenged churches to believe in the miraculous again because we came through the dark ages that, was, that, was, that, that, that led us out of the churches of Europe where the great cathedrals are that you can see right now and they're nothing more than museums because they forgot the value of the church of Jesus Christ. Big buildings and people quit and got lazy and said there is no reason for us to have to go to the church to, to for assemble ourselves to worship God. And so the cathedrals began to close. Now they're monuments of what was. And then the Lord said, I'm not pleased with that. We have that experience in the Azusa Street Revival and fire fell and it jumped racial guy, racial prejudice. It jumped church to church. It jumped over in the chosen frozen. It jumped in those that were red hot and on fire. It jumped to those that were intellectual and it jumped to those who could not read. The point is the Holy Spirit did not see race, color, or bias. Wherever there was a meeting, there was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we moved out of that. So we moved out of that. And churches like ours were born that believed in a dynamic move of your Holy Spirit and believed that you could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. And then out of that, in that meeting, the great charismatic renewal for whatever you believe, it once again caused us to pay attention where at Notre Dame 
In fact, in a university campus that is primarily Catholic, that the Holy Spirit fell and individuals began to be moved by the Spirit and speak in another language, in a prayer language, to the degree they closed classes down. And those on that campus did not understand it. But here's what they did know. They knew something was moving that they could not understand, nor could they deny. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, friend, he does not need an explanation. Somebody say, Amen. If you open your heart up, he will come in and consume you with a mighty fire. And so out of that, the great men's movement was born. Many other things and individuals and some of you who were in churches then became individuals who believed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we came through that. We came through that. People once again to begin to realize this is costing too much of my time and my talent and my giftedness. This takes a lot of effort, this thing of really being engaged in the church and going to church. This is, this is a lot because now the culture is beginning to believe that you have to be politically correct and that is a blanket to smother the very life out of evangelism. To smother the very life out of, buddy, you take your best step forward. You don't have to be rambunctious about it, but do not be ashamed, hallelujah, of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I was reading and research just briefly for another message. And I thought, boy, I'm going to share a little bit was done last year, 2016, by the Barna Institute. It says that in the initial discovery, until you break it down, that 73% of Americans say that they are Christians. 73% that they are Christians. Well, wow, I thought you said that America is no longer a Christian nation. You'll understand in a moment. 20% that surveyed last year claim no faith, and that includes the atheist and the agnostics. 6% identify with faiths like Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, and Hinduism. And 1%, they're tying a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. They don't know whether they believe anything. Unsure. And you look at that and you say, well, then why don't we discover it's all right. The devil doesn't mind. 73% are Christians. 73%, okay. That's good. But just because you have a name... doesn't mean that you have the credentials. In James 2, you see the issue with faith and works. Here's the great telltale. Of that 73%, 40, 48%, or pardon me, 55% 
go to church maybe once every other month. Now, as a pastor, I, I can't build an aggressive evangelistic church with people just choosing to slide in and slide out. I, I, can't, I can't run a successful business that helps people in peril with flood comes and I have a customer that comes along once every other month, a customer. That does not work. The other thing that does not work is that 45 of the unchurched of that 73% Christians, but they're unchurched, they haven't attended a service in the last six months, but they are Christians. So my question is, where are y'all at? Amen? Now, so the enemy says, well, you can purport, but I'm just going to interrupt. I'm, I'm going to interrupt and say, it's all right for you to say that you're a Christian, but you don't have to be engaged. So how do people, how do they exhibit in that survey their faith? Now, I'm on the point, watch where you walk now. It says that 75% of Americans, they pray to God or mention his name. My God, that counts. 75%. 35% in the survey overall said, I attend church at least once every six months. 35% of those. Now, now, we got riots in the streets. We got children that are disobedient. We got all kind of crime that's taking place. We got all kinds of challenge in our nation. But the only institution that still supports the light in the darkness is the church. But if the church is not on its P's and Q's, guess what? So not only that, 34% read their Bible. 19% volunteer at some civic organization. 18% volunteer at church. Adult Sunday school class, 17%. 16% in a small group. Now, 35% say they are born again. They believe in the core value that I mentioned a moment ago. But 23% of that 70-something percent are Bible-minded. I believe in the book. I don't know where it's at, but I believe in the book. And 7% are evangelicals. They, they believe that, all right, it's important to do the civic duty of going to church. But here's, the, here's one that scares me. Christians have the responsibility to evangelize others. Christians have the responsibility to evangelize others. Now, we believe that. We believe it's in the book here. 
It's in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. And there are many other places that speaks of evangelism. In other words, I need to say and I need to live, but here it is. 35% of those professing Christians says, no, we don't need to evangelize. We don't need to evangelize. 19% says, well, I don't strongly disagree, but I, I just disagree enough that I don't do it. So if you have people who come every other month or people, Victory Church has over 6,000 members. And the culture eats away well, 26% said, absolutely, you need to evangelize. 26%. And 20% said, I agree somewhat, though I don't do it very often. Here's another. Good works will get you into heaven. Good works. That's not what we believe. So here it is, that good works is going to get you in heaven. 25% said, absolutely, you don't have to go to church. You, have to, you don't have to read your Bible. You just do good works, and you're going to go to heaven. Good works, of course, will get you into heaven. 30% say, hey, I'm in agreement too, though I don't agree as much as the 25, but I believe if you just piddle around and do a little bit. 14% said no, but I'm not real sure 28% said, you are not going to heaven. If the only way you think you're going to heaven is through your good works, you're going to miss it. But don't say that. See? Because you wouldn't be politically correct. Peter, don't you preach anymore in the courtyard. Peter went out and started preaching. Why did you do that? Because let me tell you why. We'd rather obey God than man, and we could not help ourselves but preach about what God has done for us. Do you see out of this little message tonight the conflict that's going on in the culture? And when the church pulls back, loses its saltiness, what you see is a behavior in a culture that goes against any kind of authority, parental, civic, federal, whatever the case, you see the manifestation of that in that kind of behavior. And so you see people who, of course, who say, I love my church, I love my church, I love my church. But for the church to be able to do what needs to be done in these days of torment and trouble, something has to change. Finally, there are those that are churched 
There are those that are unchurched. There are those that are practicing Christians who are engaged. There are non-practicing Christians who say, I am one, but I don't engage. But then there are those that's called the new name now, post-Christian. Post-Christian. I don't have a problem with the Christians, but I am beyond that. I'm beyond the church deal. I'm beyond the evangelism. I believe in the big man upstairs, but I am post-Christian. And that there is where culture is headed. I'm not anti-Christ. So the name that feels good is I'm a post-Christian. Do you believe for one minute any of the disciples facing torture and persecution had the kind of faith that says, well, I'm a post-disciple? Do you believe that Jesus, who was faced with the cross, beaten and, and tormented, had said, well, I'm, I'm a post-savior? Well, what does it take to be a post? This is what a post-Christian is, and culture is filled with it. One, they don't believe in God. They believe in a higher power. Number two, they identify as atheist or agnostic. Number three, they disagree that faith is important in their lives. They have not prayed to God in the last years. They've not made any commitment to Jesus. They disagree that the, Bi or they, that the Bible is accurate. They've not donated any money to the church, not attended a Christian church, agree that Jesus committed sins. That's blasphemy, by the way. Do not feel responsibility to share their faith, have not read their Bible in the last week, have not volunteered, have not attended Sunday school, not attended even a religious small group, and do not participate in any kind of a house church. That's where the Christian culture is headed, according to Barna's research. So Joshua says, be careful where you walk. Be careful who you follow and be careful that you become responsible for your faithfulness to God and His church and don't do... I pastors say, well, you still have this service. Or that's, yeah, we just quit. Nobody would come and nobody would do this. And I say, I understand all that. I understand all that. But if I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow afternoon, I'd say, folks, the doors are going to go wide open. I'm going to be up here preaching until he does for the next 20, 12, or 15 hours, and I'm going to get everything I got. And I can tell you, I wouldn't bet you, but I would bet you this place would fill up if we all knew that he was coming again. We'd go to where our relatives work, say, get in my car. We're going down there, and you are going to get saved. We would say nothing is going to hold you back. He's coming, and we got two and a half hours left, it would change the complexion of the religious world and the church of Jesus Christ. So what does God do? He's smart enough to say, I told you I'm coming back. I told you I'm coming back. And one's going to be in the field, and one's going to keep working, and the other one is going to be taken. You conduct yourselves in a way that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet shall sound, and the sky will open, and the dead in Christ shall rise up, and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. He said, that's how you need to live. Do not get lost by walking in the territory that will only lead you to damnation. Somebody say amen. 
Joshua has reminded them of God's faithfulness, and God has not failed. He realizes now that they have reached their goal, they have received the promise, they have received their land, and they are off and running. And he said, now you be careful because you're more apt to sin when you have all you need and you're comfortable than when you're out there trying to chase manna down and hoping just maybe on the, on the, on the, on the Sabbath that some Kentucky Fried Chicken will fall from heaven with a biscuit. Here it is. Four basic foundational truths. One, give God the credit for all you have and all you are. He said it was the Lord your God who fought for you. God did it. Number two, obey the Lord. Joshua says, 23, 6, be strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of law without turning aside to the right or the left. He wanted them to live by the word and meditate in the word. And you know when you're not doing it. A pianist, a great pianist, author Rubenstein, who was a Polish person, the New York Times many years ago, said he has to be the greatest pianist in the 20th century. And here's what he said, when I miss practice one practice one day, just miss one practice one day, nobody knows it. He said, when I miss practice two days in a row, I know it. When I miss practice three days, the whole world knows I have not been practicing, friend. I'm here to tell you when you stay close to God, close to his bosom, and keep your head on his shoulder and keep his word in your heart and you talk to him, I'm telling you the devil will know it and he will be afraid. And when he does come, you can say, Satan, get behind me. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. Then thirdly, he says, live a separate or live a life separate from the world. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. He said, they will hurt you. Keep your values separate. Shine into darkness. Don't embrace it. Now the wonderful thing or the thing among young couples is, well, let's try out living together before we get married. And that way we can know if we are compatible. Listen, my friend, that is sin and abomination unto God and against the word of the living God. But that's what culture says it's all right to do. This book says, and I'll just use that, this book said wrong. Because one day you're going to have children. Mom and dad, when did you get married? Always let the unbelieving world know that God owns your heart. And number four, avoid pagan worship. I want to say this, and I want to be careful to say it. May we not get engaged of worshiping worship. It's good to worship, but I'm not in love with worship. I'm in love with the one that worship is all about. Amen. And my love for him and worshiping him means that I'm willing to sacrifice for him. Amen? Here's what I do know. Before I came out tonight, I turned my worship music on. Amen? So God, this is going to be a toughie to preach. I got my worship music on and I said, here we go. Hallelujah. I got fired up, got worked up. Why? It was in my worship. 
Hallelujah. But worship is not what anointed me when I stepped in this pulpit. It was the presence of Jesus Christ by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if we continue to remain, continue to remain faithful upon our lives, He will choose to bless us. And let me say with all my heart, if you're engaged in something that you know walking in the territory that is not God, stop right now, turn around, and make your way back to the cross. My final point, in my last minute, leave an inheritance. Turn to your neighbor and say, leave an inheritance. I ain't got nothing. I was counting on you. Now, I'm about to go the way of the earth, and you know with all of your heart and soul that not one of, or not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Just before Joshua dies, he says, I've done my best. My family, my house, I was not perfect. But I'm telling you, I'm lifting my head to leave an inheritance. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to carry the torch. We're going to carry the core value of who God is. And we are not going to let that culture get into our spirit that we begin to behave and conduct our commitments by the commitment according to Barna that says the church virtually has no power in its present condition to face the challenge of today. And I say, you're right. But, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah. You can, you can be out in the yard and it can be a hot day. Amen. And you can think, man, it's hot and wipe the perspiration. No yard talk. You can wipe the sweat off your face. And all of a sudden, you hear a crack of lightning behind you that scares the jabebies out of you. And you turn and you see a dark cloud that you didn't even know was there. Amen. But something happened in the atmosphere for when the heat of the body of earth begins to rise and there are cumulus and clouds up above and it creates an energy that God says it is about to rain. Hallelujah. You know what you get ready to do you can stand out there and say no it's not and lightning strike all around you but you can run to the house and find you an umbrella and say I believe because the signs that I see happens to be rain is on the way that's what I'm encouraging you to do let's believe rain is on the way let's believe that God is going to move let's believe a divine anointing of the Holy Spirit that God will move because no matter what the culture may say I know if you violate the covenant Joshua was said, then God is going to get you. But if you stay true to him, he will bring to pass all the promises that you've ever believed him for. Come on, get on your feet and let's give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? Praise the Lord.
Well, that ain't gonna stir any rain, I can tell you that. If I had about another hour and a half, if I had an hour and a half, I could unload. Should have preached it. You might hear this again on a Sunday morning real soon. Real soon. I want to see people saved, don't you? I want to see lives change. There are people that need to be healed. Mike over there, <laughs> he wouldn't be saved tonight had it not been for some praying people around him. His wife, Pamela, over there was raised in the church but thought it was good to get lost in the culture. Sow some wild oats. Is that right? But when you look up at church time today, you're going to see them seated right there unless it's hunting season. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Listen, he is here. Your son can have an absolute miracle. Bubba can. We're not giving up. Because the God that created him can reach down and stir the atmosphere and the people around him. It can happen. Let's just pray. Repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I, have sinned. I made a mess of things. I made a mess of things. And I need your help. I need your help. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Purify my mind. Purify my mind. And give me deliverance. And give me deliverance. I am believing by faith. Believing by faith. You are the Son of God. You're, the Son of God. you're my Redeemer. You're my, redeemer. You're my healer. You're my healer. And you're my soon coming king. My soon coming king. I'm choosing to stand with you. Choosing to stand with you. Because I know you will not forsake me. I know you will not forsake me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we know. You can be healed. We're going to sing this song. If you have a need, the Holy Spirit's pulling on you. I'm not going to belabor the point. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit can't get you in this altar, I sure am not going to be able to. But if you need to come and you know it, you come right on and we'll pray with you. Will you do that right now? Here we go. Surrender us.